0: Thank you very much. As we continue to worship God, we're going to be in Haggai. Haggai chapter two this morning. Um, I'm very thankful for people like our teachers because I am a parent, so I am thankful for people like Kevin who uh, dare come up here and uh, corral the children. And but for the heart to teach as well, which is great to see. Um, And so be praying for our teachers who are down there teaching our kids. Uh, May God give them the words to say, and may God use them to call those precious people to himself. Let me ask you this. Have you ever built something, like you were looking online, or you looked at a picture in a magazine, and you went, oh, I can do that. I have a whole house full of that, <laughs> right? So I, I, I feel that my, my, my dream is not matched by my skill. Uh, but have you ever felt like that? You look at the picture and something, and you just feel very disappointed with the results. Or, or maybe you saw something on Pinterest. Pinterest is a social media platform where it's just pictures uh, and ideas, and there's actually a whole hashtag dedicated to failures. <laughs> and it's called hashtag Pinterest fails. Uh, and it's very funny um, because they do the comparison picture. The, and there's a lot of those pictures where for a while it was a big thing for a girl with long hair to be in the sunrise and like dip her hair in the water and fly. And it would be like this fan of hair and water. And then there would be some person trying to do that. Um, and it never works out, uh, what it does. There's so many times we look at things and we, um, we look at our attempts at doing things and we kind of become very disappointed with the outcome of that. It doesn't come out the same way that we imagined in our, envisioned in our brain or, or what we saw in the magazine or in the picture online. It just doesn't do that. And so often we compare what is Currents to what is in the past or what has been done and discouragement quickly comes into play sometimes it just turns into a funny story where you're kind of just comparing and and talking to people and you're like hey I tried to do that and it really didn't work out very well um, I have a few of those things myself as I said but what happens when we begin to focus so much on that? On that is discouragement begins to seek in, and a lot of discouragement is what we see right here in Haggai chapter two, verses one to nine. It's a shorter passage this morning, but it really deals with God interacting with His people that are becoming discouraged. So, if you have your Bibles with you, please follow along in Haggai chapter two, and it says this: In the seventh month. On the 21st day of the month the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet speak now to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel governor of Judah and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak the high priest and to all the remnants of the people and say who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory how do you see it now is it not as nothing in your eyes Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land and I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and I will fill this with glory, this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place... I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Father God, we just thank you for today. We thank you that we get to continue to worship and to praise you as we open up your word together, Lord. And I pray that as I preach this sermon, Lord, that you are indeed glorified. As we are reminded here, there is no ability to do that outside of you. So by your spirit, Lord, I pray that you use this sermon for your glory, for the joy of your people, and for the salvation of the lost. And amen. Discouragement will happen. That's the outcome. In verses 1 to 3, We see that in the first seven months. In the seventh month, we see this. Under two months after the people had stepped out in obedience, this is now the time that has taken place here. And we need to have a little bit of a background as we look into this text. This is the seventh day of the Feast of the Booths, or or otherwise known as the Tabernacle. It was this annual festival. Believe it or not, there's a lot of festivals, which means parties in the Bible. But this was a festival where the people of God would take time to, uh, to live in booths and tents, where they would remind themselves of what it was like in the wilderness. It was a reminder of where they were, what God has done for them. But it was also a reminder of the future, saying that this is not a permanent place. It, it was a dual-purpose festival. Very important. Similar to what we do when we take part in communion. We're remembering the past, what God has done for us, but we're also remembering the future hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So that is what's happening here. But sometimes it was also, not sometimes, but it was also an anniversary of Solomon's dedication of the first temple. And, I, and we'll get into this in a little bit, but it kind of probably felt like a lot of salt on a wound. Because there was a lot of glory, a lot of magnificence that was in that original building that could not be compared to what was being built. But this festival also gets us people to look back. And we come all along, and it says, The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. And once again, God uses this man as an instrument to preach to this people. And he's speaking to who is left among you. You, you kind of think about this and, and later on in these verses. He says in verse 2, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua and the high priest, And all the remnant. And God asked this question in verse 3 Who is left among you who saw this house in former glory? It was possible that the, the little children that left into exile are now senior citizens coming back. They would have remembered the old temple. And now they're looking at this thing that they're attempting to build with limited resources and limited time. And discouragement begins to come into play here. The people who saw, who had seen the former glory of the temple were now older. And he continues on, is it not nothing in your eyes that people could see that the rebuilt temple was far inferior to Solomon's temple? So this is where perspective is important. So I'm going to throw a bunch of numbers at you. Okay, so follow along with me. See, Solomon's temple required a workforce of more than 180,000 men. You see that in 1 Kings. And even with so many workers, it took seven years to build. Its construction involved, get this, okay, 285 tons of gold. Okay, this was, this was a magnificent building. 400, or sorry, 625 tons of silver. And the bronze was beyond measure. There was so much bronze, they didn't even measure it. And even though the temple was plundered over and over again, over and over again, and it was finally destroyed back in 586, it was still an impressively glorious building. So you got to think about it right there's no amount of gold or silver or bronze that the people had at that time to even get close to what was so they're looking at it and they're going oh this is pitiful and they begin to get discouraged see by comparison what hey guys contemporaries saw before them was indeed as nothing The temple was in ruins. We saw that in the first chapter. And although they had begun work three weeks earlier, they had not yet laid the foundation or put up a stone. Not only was this house now as nothing, what they would hoped it would be is as nothing. Given that they had only a tiny fraction of that workforce. As I reflect upon this, you can kind of feel the discouragement, right? You can imagine these uh, older folk just going back in my day. And I was thinking about that. And I remember back in my day, when I was young, when I first became a member, I was a late teenager of the church I grew up in. I remember a senior citizen stepped up in the members' meeting and used those exact words. Back in my day and began to rattle off all of these glorious things that they had done as a church. As I'm reflecting upon this passage, it's very similar, right? And just think about me as a teenager sitting there as someone steps up back in my day. See, here's the kicker. The past is not to be dwelt upon. It's not to distract us or discourage us from the mission that is in front of us. We look at the past and we do praise God for all that he has done. We praise God because only God could have done those things. But it's not something that we fixate. If we are running a race and we keep looking behind us, what happens while you're running the race? You fall flat on your face. I almost rhymed. But you just, you keep tripping, and you keep focusing, and, and, and you become discouraged. We praise God for what he has done in the past, but we don't fixate on it. We keep moving forward. So have you ever felt like the task that is in front of you is impossible? Because that's what the people of God were feeling at this moment. They were charged by God to go and build the temple. And by the Spirit of God, they were spurred on to do that, to step out in faithful obedience. But as they were stepping out in faithful obedience, they're going, this is not even close to what was. And discouragement begins to feel. Have you ever felt that the task that is in front of you is impossible for you to do? Ever look at the past and, and long for what was? Have you ever asked, how can I keep going? God, you've told me about this task that I have ahead of me. Uh, I, I feel it. I, I, I understand this. Uh, but God, I just, I don't know. I don't think there's anyone who hasn't been able to relate to what the people of God, uh, Judah and Israel, are feeling at this moment of time. The task ahead that God has called us to do can often seem impossible. And I'm here telling you today that I know exactly how that feels as well. So this passage speaks to me just as much as it speaks to you. So, how do we keep going? How do we keep being faithful to what God has called us to be? If we're called to be faithful disciples ourselves, people who are Christ learners, who are making disciples of Jesus Christ, people who are going out proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, how do I keep going with so much discouragement that I'm faced with as I seek to be faithful in that mission? How do I keep going? How do I remain faithful? How do we continue to do the hard work that is ahead? And God gives us this answer in verses 4 to 9. Remember God's promises and discouragements. See, there's, there's a call to act based on the past. We don't ignore the past, okay? Don't ever hear me say that past doesn't matter. I love history. It is great. When we had Dr. Hayden here a couple of weeks ago, it was a great reminder of God's faithfulness to his people. But in verse 4, it comes along and says, Yet now be strong. Three times are told to be strong. And you hear the similar language of King David's words to his own son Solomon when he was dying. In 1 Chronicles 28, it says this Then David said to Solomon his son, Be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid. And do not be dismayed, for the Lord God, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. I am with you, God says to his people. Work based on his presence, on my presence, and my past faithfulness, he says to his people. There's this impossible task that is before you, and God gives the people three commandments be strong, work, and fear not. Three commands be strong, work, and fear not. For those listening to Haggai's words, they're given this amazing assurance that God's presence will be with them as they continue to work in faithfulness in the building of temple. He says that in verse 8, I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. There's great peace when we think about this. God doesn't tell us to do anything and say, hey, you're on your own. He never does that. He says, be strong. He says, do the hard work. And fear not. Why? Because I am with you. See, according, in verse 5 it says, According to the covenant, God's promises that he made with his people as he brought the people out of Egypt are now what give the people assurance. You see what the past serves as? Energy and encouragement to stay faithful to the task in front of them is not to be dwelt on. It's to spur us on, to remind us that God is faithful all the time. And He keeps His promises. Do you see what God is doing here in these questions, in these statements? Do you see His gentleness? His patience? You you can kind of hear Him like a father saying to his children, I know you're scared. I know you're scared. I know that you're disheartened. I know that you're discouraged. I know you're weary. But let me remind you of what I have already done for you. For us as the people of God, we see this. We've been saved by God's amazing grace. For those who have repented and believe, we understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Christ has died for our sins, that there is a holy God, that we have sinned against that holy God, that because of that sin, we all deserve hell. But Jesus Christ stepped down from his throne to save us, us, our wretched people like us, so that we may have eternal life. God reminds us over and over again. See, I think just like the people of God here, I think you and I, and I am guilty of this as much as anybody, we get so discouraged when we keep looking to the task ahead and get overwhelmed because we're forgetting what God has already done for us. I I keep saying this almost every week. You have to remind yourselves of the goodness of Jesus Christ. You have to remind yourself every day of the gospel because that's what spurs you on. And And God continues on. He says, My spirit's remains in your midst. Literally, my spirit is standing in your midst. The same spirit that brought the the, the people of God magnificently out of Egypt is the same God, the same spirit that is with them as they continue to build the, the temple of God. My spirit remains with you. The people can be confident that God is with them because he is the covenant-keeping God who is, says that he is with them. Look at what I did already. They work. The work that they do is not on their own strength. It's based on God's presence and his past faithfulness. And then in verse 6 he comes in and he says, I will shake the heavens and the earth. And what God did at Mount Sinai as he made that promise with his people on those mountains, as, as the mountains shook, what God did as he allowed the people to take and plunder from other nations as they were walking through, God will do again. The echoing of that language here. Is, is a reminder that the outward glory of the temple is a reflection of the glorious one that dwells within. So often we think that the glory, of, what makes things glorious is what things that we do. That's false. And as the temple, the, 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 this pitiful temple that the people of God think will become glorious not because of their work, but because the presence of God was going to be with them. That's what makes it Glorious. God is with them. And God will shake the heavens and, and, and the earth. This promise reassures of the people that this temple, as unimpressive as it looks at this moment, will again become the dwelling place of God's glory. They don't need to concern themselves with all these lack of resources. They don't need to worry about those things, for God Himself will provide what is needed in His abundance, not theirs. That God will shake the nations until all of did you catch that near the end? All His gold. All His silver will come back. They will fall out of their pockets. And he will use that treasure to glorify his house. The people don't need to worry about their lack of resources because God himself will give what is needed out of his abundance. Though God will shake the nations until all of the silver right out of their pockets. And you can kind of picture it like this guy, this big guy picking up this little kid and and pouring him upside down and shaking all his lunch money out. The language we see here is a reminder that the outward glory of the temple is a reflection of the glorious one that dwells within. We see that in churches all the time. The buildings, I mean. Think about Notre Dame before it burned down. It was a magnificent building wasn 't it? It was beautiful, and we called it a church. but did you know that the Catholic Church actually did not own that building they didn 't The state owned it the state of France during the revolution the church The state of France took it over. It was actually an atheistic church at one point the the glory of that building isn't dependent upon what it looks like. It depended upon if the presence of God was there. And God's presence was not there. The glory of God is not dependent upon man-made things, but on his presence. And then in verse 9 we see this, the latter glory of this house, the greatness of Solomon's temple will be surpassed by the one yet to come. So Haggai says to the people not to give up hope, or become discouraged by looking to the glory of the past, they must look instead for the glory of the future. The people look at this current house, they become disappointed, but God's glory wasn't dependent upon that building or how it looked. And then he continues on In this place I will give peace, literally, shalom, it means more than just the absence of conflict. It's talking about a, a total well-being, it's talking about complete salvation. And if you are resting in Christ's finished work on the cross, you have been given peace too. So how can I keep going? How 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 do I deal with this task in front of us? The Lord of hosts is with you. How can I have the strength to keep going? It is the Lord's strength. I don't have the resources to, to do this. It is His resources that are needed for the success of the mission. So, so what? Keep persevering in the building of God's kingdom, boldly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to all nations, knowing that God is with us. We need to keep persevering even when it doesn't look glorious. For Haggai's generation, the pathetic ruins before them didn't look like anything glorious. But did you notice that later in that passage, God says the glory of this temple will be more than Solomon's temple? They persevered. They kept going in the rebuilding of the temple. God would return to dwell with his people. And once God's glory dwells in in the temple, there must inevitably, inevitably be an outward manifestation of his glory. But as this Haggai's word reminds us, there still can be this gap, right? This a little while, as the text says, until we see that outward manifestation. We find this in the life and ministry of Jesus. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, as Hebrews says, in whom the full glory of God is manifested. So what does it mean to have something glorious? Seek first the kingdom of God. See, at that time, there wasn't much to point people to Jesus' glory, right? Think about it. When Jesus was walking on this planet, there wasn't a lot going on that was pointing them to this glory that we see in Hebrews. Right? Even look at the cross. You had a couple of quick glimpses with the transformation. But people didn't see this. Even more, at the hour when Jesus was glorified that we see in John 17, he appeared anything but glorious. As we see Jesus on the cross, we don't see glory. You don't. All we see is shame and suffering. It looks as nothing in our eyes. But because of that shame-filled death on the cross, he was crowned with glory and honor. It was at this time Jesus did the greatest miracle that is ever possible. He reconciled a sinful man to a holy God. And even though Jesus has already been glorified, we still wait, don't we? We still wait for the day of the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ when his kingdom will be manifested for all to see. As Hebrews 12 says to us, tells us this final day will be the ultimate fulfillment of what we see in Haggai 2, verse 6. When the the Lord will once more shake all the things so that what remains will be a kingdom that cannot be shaken. On that day, the glory of God's dwelling place among us will indeed exceed the former glory of what was there. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, as Revelations 4.21 says. So how about we agree on this? Let's let God define what glory is. Let us focus on glorifying Him above all things and being faithful to the mission that is ahead. Knowing that God, our God, is a covenant-keeping God. He is a promise-keeping God. So let's keep persevering even when it doesn't look glorious. So we keep persevering because we still have hope. Keep persevering because God is with us. I love that. Like This is, this is the greatest thing about Christmas, okay? I can, stop tar- I can start talking about this. <laughs> Christmas is great. You do get presents. That's nice too. But the best thing about Christmas is that it's a reminder to you and to me that Emmanuel is here. God is with us. Keep persevering because God is with us. I know the mission ahead is difficult. I know it's hard to go and tell people about Jesus Christ. I know it's hard. You come up with all the reasonings, right? I'm too shy. Um, I'm not equipped enough. I don't know enough. That's probably all of them. (laughs) Right? Right? I know it's hard. I know it seems as though resources are low. That you may not have the strength to go forward, but there's a promise here. There is no way that you and I can face the task before us without falling on our knees before God who promises to be in our midst as we step out in obedience. God, who he alone is able to give the resources that are needed, We are called to be disciples of Jesus Christ who are making disciples of Jesus Christ. We can't do that on our own. And that's the first step, isn't it? I can't do it on alone. Our mission isn't to fill this building. You ever realize that? Our mission is not to fill this building. Our mission is to be faithful to what God has called us to do. If you want this building to be filled, that is a byproduct, a possible byproduct of our faithfulness. Our mission is to go and be disciples who are making disciples of Jesus Christ. So, what does this mean for you and for me? Don't be afraid, be strong, keep working. Know that the work, despite all of its appearance, is glorious. And that one day the glory presently hidden in in weak and fragile jars of clay will be fully revealed to the whole of creation. Let us be this. Let us be faithful to the mission that God has given us. Remembering his past faithfulness and his future promises. So let me leave you with this. Because I thought last week uh, I neglected to do something very important. If you have a desire to equip people to be evangelists, if you think in your heart that you might have a burden, a special type of burden to go tell people about Jesus, and you have a longing for the church to be equipped to do that, come talk to me. We've got a great program that does that, it's not mine. It's the cross current. We've all heard Corey McKenna preach before, and he has a great heart to equipping the church to do their mission. So, if that is you, if you have a desire to equip the church to be uh, to do their mission to evangelize, come and talk to me. I don't want to be the guy who comes up here and tells you, "Hey, you need to be this," and then we completely ignore the fact that you have to be equipped to do it. We have the ability to equip. So God says to us, be faithful to the mission that I have given you, remembering what I have done in the past, remembering my faithfulness and my future promise. So let us be a people that seek first the kingdom of God, that do those three things, to be strong, to work, and to fear not. Why? Because God is with us. Father God, we just thank you for who you are and what you have done for us. Lord, may we remember that in the midst of discouragement, Lord, there is still hope. Lord, I pray that you indeed would be glorified, that you would burden our hearts to to go and to be faithful to the call of making disciples of Jesus Christ. Lord, I just pray that uh, you would continue to revive us and make us behold your glory more and more this day. Amen.